This is Hemant. And Jessica. And you're listening to the Friendly Atheist Podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please go to patreon.com slash Friendly Atheist Podcast. I should say we posted a bonus episode, which is an interview I did with Seth Andrews. That's on the main feed, so you should all be able to see that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and hello, how are you? You know, not too bad. It's finally cooled off. It's been cool all week, which is nice. And... You know, same old I, shit. I like the rain. I can't get out of the house, though. And it's like during the pandemic, it's like, well, I could go walking. Nope, nope. <sighs> yeah, that's a good point. I'm just happy that it's not 95 degrees outside right now. That was yeah. rough stuff as well. Um, So I have a story that I wanted to start with that uh, pleased me because <laughs> I didn't see this coming. And I think I may have had something to do with it. So Uh-oh. let me give you some background on this. Do you remember Christian hate preacher Stephen Anderson? Um, I remember him in so much that I read your article about him today. <laughs> okay. So this is a preacher. This is a guy who is, uh, he runs a place called Faithful Word Baptist Church in Arizona. He's like, I call him a hate preacher. He, that's kind of what he's known for. If you look at his sermons on YouTube, or at least if you did, like, it's just him going off on LGBTQ people. This is Uh a guy who once said, um... The good thing about the Pulse nightclub massacre is that, and I'm quoting, there's 50 less pedophiles in the world. Um, He also said the government should execute homosexuals through a firing squad. Yep. Uh, He's misogynistic, of course. Like, man is the head of the household. Mm -hmm. Woman should be subservient. He's a Holocaust denier. Oh, Uh, that's new. That too. He's also very much... uh, At first, he was actually good about covid like wear a mask. This is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And now he's switched completely into downplaying the seriousness of it, telling people not to get a vaccine when it comes out, etc. So this is who we're talking about. This is a guy so awful as a human. I think the count is 34 countries have banned him from stepping foot in their countries. I what does one have to do to be banned from an entire country? Is he just like a hate monger? And that's yeah. why Okay, if you are. It's not so much a free speech thing. It's you're basically a pox on our nation. And so we're going to stop you from coming here. And they're allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this is the guy who we're talking about. And the reason he's at the point where 34 countries have banned him is because for many, many years, at least like, seven or eight by my count he's been broadcasting his sermons on youtube he live streams the whole thing clips of them that he purposely like takes out like every sermon becomes 10 different clips that he then posts online and they all some of them go viral and has he always done this or is this a post-covid thing no, he's always done this. Okay. Like, I mean, the Pulse nightclub thing happened when that happened. He was this awful, though, way before then, too. And it goes from, like, God, you're comically fundamentalist and crazy to, holy crap, this is, like, dangerously awful. You are targeting people. Right. Um, and he always tries to make clear in the way that only fundamentalists can do. He's like, I want the government to execute gay people. No, 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 I'm not saying... You, my congregation, should do that. No, no, I would never do that. But the government should totally do that. That's what the Bible says. Anyway, here's what was interesting to me. I haven't seen a lot of him in a while. Like, since the summer, uh, especially as COVID happened, like, I hadn't seen a lot of his sermons. And I'm like, whatever happened to this guy? 
And I went to his church's website, and this is one thing I found interesting. He has a page where he lists the archive of all of his sermons. Mm -hmm. And every church, every big church anyway, and his is not big, but every big church does something like this. They're like, here's our archive of sermons. You can download an MP3. You can watch it on YouTube. You could check it out on Facebook Live, whatever it is. They have their links for every single sermon because they archive them all. And usually at a random big mega church, every link on YouTube goes to the same channel because they're trying to build up their channel. Like Mm -hmm. that's the one-stop shop for everything about that church. But for Steven Anderson's church, if you look at the last like two months of sermons and he does it twice a week, uh, like Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, every one of those sermons points to a different YouTube channel. Like, Here's what happened. In July, they banned his channel. I think Uh it's because of the COVID stuff. So it's like, okay, what does he do now? How does he spread his message? I think he opened up like 10 different channels or had people open up 10 different channels. And he's like, hey, number one, post tonight's sermon. Number two, you're doing tomorrow's, whatever it is, you know? And so I had to make a spreadsheet to keep track of where are all these sermons going? And if you look at like 30 sermons, they went to 12, like some of them went to channels that have now been deleted, Mm -hmm. but there were like 12 active channels that they were being posted to. And most of them, if you just look at the title, the description of the channel, there's no mention of Pastor Steven Anderson, no mention of Faithful Word Baptist Church. Uh, One of them was called like Daily Baptist or Jonah three uh chapter three verse two like random things subtle very subtle but they are only really his sermons so anyway i kept track of all this and i posted like oh this is how he's getting around his ban by the way if you do get banned from youtube and you try to just post your stuff on a new channel they will hunt you down that goes against their policies right but they had, these channels were all still active. And so I posted about this. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I posted was a clip of that was still existing on YouTube under a different channel of his COVID misinformation campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, <laughs> so that brings up, that was Monday of this week. And as of late last night on Thursday, Um, I went back to look at all those channels. Every single one of them has been terminated. If you go on them, they now say uh, this account has been terminated for a violation of YouTube's terms of service, meaning you got banned, you tried again, we got you. Um, And my favorite thing is, okay, he has still found a way to post his stuff on a different YouTube channel. Like, I got a glimpse of it. Um, and Facebook, he's still posting on there. So I was watching Wednesday night sermon because it happened just after all the bans occurred. And I'm going to read you a part of this. Um, this is what he said to his congregation Wednesday night. It's pretty sad when my wife has to call me before the service and say, what? Where's the channel? I can't find it. So sad. Yeah. YouTube is deleting our channel like every week, every day. Meanwhile, Insane Clown Posse's channel is doing fine. <laughs> And I'll get back to that in a second. But basically, he is saying, they banned me, they banned me. Then he says, maybe God can just go like, and maybe that the fire's hitting California. Maybe it can hit Mountain View, California and torch old YouTube's headquarters, torch old Google's headquarters. And then he said later, like to his congregation, I'm not asking you to do that, but God should. 
I was wondering about the insane clown posse thing. And they have a song called The Truth. And after like three minutes of the most vile, vulgar lyrics you can imagine that are mm-hmm. downright hilarious just because they piss people off. Um, they they have a sampling of his sermons where he's just railing against Hollywood. Wait, and, what? Yeah, it's like a three minute song followed by five minutes of him saying crazy stuff to his congregation. And they sample it as an example of like, look at the crazy shit some people think is the truth. <laughs> it's downright hilarious. Like, <laughs> listen to the song. Oh my God, it's funny. Um, <laughs> So I have a friend group um, and one of the, it, there's like five of us and one of them, one of us famously dated a juggalo in high school. Congratulations. And so ICP is definitely a through line of our in jokes. <laughs> and so this morning I woke up and saw like Hemant did this like teaser tweet last night of like, I've got a story tomorrow and it has to do with ICP. And I like screen grabbed. It. I was like, guys, guys, our worlds are, worlds are colliding. Um, and their win again. Yeah, and their reaction was, "This is bullshit because the gathering is very, very inclusive." Their chant is "Family, family, family." <laughs> That's the thing. It's a it's a subculture that is very tight knit and inclusive of literally anybody. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Anderson goes against all of that. His is very much no. Everyone who's not us is kicked out. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm. It was just amusing to watch them use him. Uh, and he's in a, by the way, he did another sermon that I also watched cause I got nothing going on in my life. Sure. Um, where he, Not like he had talked, children to raise. No, no, whatever they, I'm sure they're fine. Um, <laughs> he talked about the song and he's like, you know what? I like it because anything that gets out my message is all publicity is good publicity mm-hmm. is his take on it. Um, but he's very mad that ICP gets to keep their YouTube channel, but his, <laughs> all of his, get taken. by the way, on earlier this week, if you go to his church's website, they also have a donation page. And of course, they can't do it through PayPal. You can't donate to his church via PayPal because PayPal knows it's a hate group. And they would shut them down if they haven't already. So they go through two other groups. One's called Process Donation. One is USAE Pay. I've never heard of them, but okay, they allow you to process donations and stuff. And I reached out to both companies, like, why are you allowing a hate group to use your site? Is that Mm -hmm. part of your policy? Is that allowed? What's the deal? They haven't responded to me. Um, But we'll see what happens there. So anyway, uh, so he basically has been shut down from YouTube. And one of the things that I always hear about this is, like, one, is it censorship? It's not censorship. It's not the government saying he's not allowed to preach or anything so like youtube has a right to have policies and run by those policies Uh and he very clearly is violating those policies but here's the other thing and i saw some people saying this on his facebook page which i also read because whatever my kids are fine (laughs) Um, they were like why don't you just set up shop on one of those alt-right you like youtube clones Mm -hmm. or some other vimeo like site that is less stringent about what they allow up there. And here's the thing. The answer is, of course, he could post his sermons on there and get away with it. But that's not what he's trying to do. I kept thinking of all those like right wing crazy people on Twitter uh-huh. who are like, we are all quitting Twitter. It's censoring right wing voices. We should all go to parlor. Yeah. <laughs> And that's a dumb thing to do because no reasonable people are migrating to parlor. All that ends up happening is the alt-right gets an echo chamber, mm-hmm. which goes against everything they want. Cause 
They don't want to talk to each other. They think each other, they think everyone else in their group is crazy. Like they only want to be on Twitter because that's where sane people are. And they want the sane <laughs> well, people to I hear their voice. I'm on sane people because I've been on Twitter for many years and like, Imagine this, if Donald Trump said, I'm creating my own version of Twitter and I want all the right wing people to do it. Oh, finally. He would hate it because Donald Trump's whole shtick is I want to be on the platform where everyone gets to see me. That's how Anderson works too. He wants to be on YouTube. That's how people can go down the rabbit hole into his craziness. And now he's lost the biggest amplifier of his voice, which is perfect. Like if there was a, a, a provocateur Milo Yiannopoulos who just says hateful things Twitter banned him mm-hmm. and as soon as that happened he lost his biggest platform and he's still out there he's still saying and doing stupid shit but he but no nobody longer cares. nobody cares as much because he doesn't really have as much of an impact because they shut it like there's no reason those people shouldn't be shut down. It's not censorship. It's you're crazy and you're violating our rules. So bye-bye. So yeah, anyway. I, I think we found that deplatforming people tends to be an extremely effective um, yeah. means of, of getting that kind of hateful rhetoric out of the mainstream. So, so good yeah. for, good for you. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> and this is okay. On a much more serious note, uh, there is, Pastor John MacArthur, who we've talked about before. He is the pastor of Grace Community Church in Los Angeles in California. Um, He's a guy who's been, even though California's at least at first struggled with COVID, they struggled with COVID. They were trying to tamp down on indoor gatherings of any sort. They told him very specifically, um, people who run a megachurch, here are your options. You can have indoor services if you follow all these indoor precautions, like restaurants. Mm-hmm. You can have outdoor services, and we urge you to follow the you know restrictions. Um, or you could live stream. No one's stopping you from doing that. Sure. But this is a megachurch pastor. He's like, oh, hell no. I'm having indoor services for everybody. <laughs> this is a guy who has celebrated he told his congregation i'm paraphrasing i don't have it in front of me um he's celebrating he's like you guys are all here you're not wearing masks you're not social distancing like he celebrated it he said a couple of weeks ago and we talked about this he said there is no pandemic because he doesn't understand how to read cdc data Mm -hmm. and he still continued meeting a couple of things have happened los angeles the city the county of los angeles uh removed the lease his church had with the local parking lot wow that people couldn't like park there easily and they had the right to do that (laughs) (laughs) they also find him this week they find him a thousand dollars a day because he had signs on the door uh, of his church and they say things let me see if i can pull this up they say things on the door here's what it says if you go near his church by entering the grace community church campus you assume the risk of contracting COVID-19 and you agree that the church cannot be held responsible if that happens. Mm-hmm. Please do not enter if you have an elevated temperature, a cough, or any flu-like symptom. The county is fining them $1,000 a day because their signs do not meet regulations because they do not say, wash your hands, use sanitizer, wear face masks, social right. distance. They're not even posted where they're supposed to be posted. That happened earlier this week. And now the count a judge in the county said no we are totally shutting you down we cannot trust you to do the right thing you are mm-hmm. not listening 
we are shutting you down um, as far as... Um, so the question is, okay, how serious can anyone take that? Um, a couple things to keep in mind. This is what the judge said. The, count, the court cannot ignore how the county health order does not dictate a ban on worship. It allows it to occur outdoors, virtually, through the internet, and in any manner that is not indoors with a large gathering of people. The court finds the balance of harms tips in favor of the county. Like, we know you're a public health hazard, and you are not doing anything to stop it, so right. we're fighting with the county. Um, this, was it this morning, either this morning or late last night on Fox News Channel, yeah. MacArthur appeared with his lawyer, who is also Trump's lawyer, and said, nope, I'm still holding church on Sunday morning. Cool. So this clash is going to happen. The question is how the county is going to respond, because it needs to be shut down. What are they going to do? Barricade the doors? Are they going to arrest people? That's kind of what MacArthur wants. Yeah. He wants to become a public spectacle and he doesn't care who gets COVID in the process because he's only pro-life until you're a fetus. Like then it's done. Well, and it's also, they don't believe that it's a real thing. So yeah, no, he's told his congregation. It's not a real thing. Um, but this is a major standoff that is going to happen on Sunday morning. Dottie gets it. Um, so anyway, that's going to happen. Keep, keep an eye out on Sunday because that is going to be bad. Oy, oy, oy. This is oh. such a mess. Uh, I've got some stories this week because what I'm up? very good at podcasting. Um, so Hobby Lobby. You know me. Oh, it's our, our gar- it's our garbage day, so Dottie is protecting me from the garbage truck. Good for her. Good job, Dottie. Um, so, um, so Hobby Lobby, we all know and hate because they famously are one of the reasons that companies can deny their employees birth control. Um, so they're back in the news, which is neat. So, um, some uh, shopper was in Hobby Lobby and took a picture of their, um, you know, they, in craft stores, they have like decorative letters. Yeah. And somebody arranged it to say USA vote Trump. Um, and like and someone tweeted this picture somewhere. And somebody tweeted it out. So I'm kind of interested to know the origins of what's going on here because people are calling for a boycott, which like, listen, I'm always down for a good, a good boycott of, uh, of Hobby Lobby. I personally do not shop there, but, um, I was trying to figure out where this, this appeared to be one store in an unnamed place. And like someone tweets it out, what was unclear is like, who called for this? Because was it some employee in the store who just created a little display here? Which mm-hmm. is a problem, but it's very isolated. Yeah. As opposed to Hobby Lobby corporate saying, we need you all to do this. Which it didn't seem like, because you would have seen it in other places. And uh, not that I would like to give them credit. That's not the sort of thing they do. Right. So anyway, it's kind of an interesting story. I, I, frankly, I don't know why this would be the reason that people would stop shopping at Hobby Lobby. I would argue that, you know, my right to access, you know, medicine that my doctor prescribes is more important. But anyway, that's just kind of a thing that's happening that sort of sparked an uproar. It's, it might be kind of a nothing burger of a story, but anyway, I thought it was kind of an interesting thing. (laughs) So this week, 
uh, Donald Trump released a, he was trying to deflect from all the, whatever drama he's causing this week. Mm. So in the middle of all of his various shit storms, he says, Oh, I'm having a press conference in a couple of minutes and I'm going to announce a new list of possible Supreme Court nominees for my second term. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I, okay, you finish. I'm going to tell you All my right. reaction. <laughs> in, he did this in 2016 as a way to say, look, I know conservatives like you need to vote for me, but you don't really trust that I'm conservative. So he did this in 2016. He said, if you elect me, I'm only going to choose Supreme Court nominees from this list. Neil Gorsuch was on that list, but so were other crazy conservative uh, judges. And part of that was like it was a way for very right wing groups, conservative Christians to go to their people and say, look, I know you saw the pussy grabbing tape, Mm -hmm. but look at what we could get. All of these judges hate abortion and women. Mm -hmm. Of course, we want that. So vote for him like the gambit worked in 2016. Um, And this time he puts out a new list where he says, like, all those people who were there from before, but are not named Gore. By the way, Brett Kavanaugh was not on that original list. Oh, really? Yeah, it was only after he got elected that someone was like, you need to get this guy on your, like, updated list. He's, like, 14 years old. He'll live (laughs) forever. Yeah. and (laughs) by hate. uh, Everyone who's not Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are still on the list, but now he added 20 more names. And some of them... Uh, okay, some of the names. Senators Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz, and Josh Hawley, all of whom are like the rightest of right-wing Republicans. They're all against church-state separation, supporters of Christian nationalism. Cotton responded by saying, he, uh, I should say, Josh Hawley responded in a very politically savvy way, just saying like, I'm very honored that I'm like, I'm paraphrasing here. He's like, I'm honored to be on the list, but I want to be senator and I will not accept a nomination, even if Donald Trump made it, which is probably a lie. He would totally take that if he was nominated. But that's what you say. It's like, are you going to be vice president, Stacey Abrams? And she's like, or I'm not Stacey Abrams, but like Elizabeth Warren. And they'll always say something like, well, I'm I'm not discussing that. I just want to help the country. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing wrong ostensibly with that sort of statement. But that's what they all do. But Tom Cotton responded by saying, it's time for Roe v. Wade to go. (laughs) That was his response. But anyway, three senators who are like the whitest of white, white right wing people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was also um, Judge Allison Rushing, who is one of those people that Mitch McConnell installed on the bench since Trump got elected, who once said um, that. A coalition of atheist groups once responded to her and called her out for, quote, reverse engineering results that privilege religion and violate the Constitution. Mm -hmm. There are judges like Kyle Duncan, James Ho and Lawrence Van Dyke, who are all not uh, at least Van Dyke, not qualified by the American Bar Association. They are anti LGBTQ. I think Kyle Duncan is the one who issued a ruling this term where he refused to use the proper pronoun to describe a trans plaintiff. Um, The only kind of mildly interesting thing is that there were two judges, Naomi Rao and Justin Walker, who were like uh, civil rights groups. Like, Oh my God, Mitch McConnell is installing these two 
they're the Senate's rushing them through. They were not on uh, Trump's list. Interesting. So that was mildly interesting because it's like those were two people Mitch McConnell and Republicans fought to get on because they would never get on in any normal administration. Mm-hmm. But Trump didn't mention them. Anyway, the whole point is he was signaling to his base, look, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to die. Who do you want her replaced by? And these are the white men who could do it. And by the way, one or two token women who are very young. Um, Ted Cruz isn't white, but he's honorarily white. Honorarily white, yes. Um, and so he released that's the list. Not, that's not a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> um, he released the list. But here's the thing. One is, it was, I think, even during that very press conference, people were asking him about the COVID a crisis in Bob Woodward's book and where Trump is like, yeah, I know the COVID thing is bad, but I'm telling the public different. Like no one cared about his list, even as he told them there was a list. So that's one thing, like whatever publicity he hoped to get from this, he did not get it. The second thing is I don't think it'll work. I don't think the short list will help him as much as he thinks it does because one is the conservative base already knows that he'll appoint whoever they want to appoint. Like it's already baked into who Trump is. That's and literally how the only reason they court. voted for him is yeah. courts. No. Like this isn't going to get a bump because you've already gotten the bump from the judges. Everyone already knows about the judges. Um, and so whatever you're hoping to accomplish by tweeting this out is I don't think going to help him out. There has been a call for Biden to do the same thing. Like tweet out your list of possible Supreme court picks and they haven't done it. And I've heard various reasons for why they haven't done it. Um, By the way, uh, Biden has said, without giving any names, that he wants to appoint like a black woman to the Supreme Court. But he didn't give any didn't give any names. It's not that there aren't any to name. There are a few very prominent black women. But he didn't want to name them. And one of the reasons one of his campaign people gave is we don't want to give Republicans a head start on compiling some sort of hit list Mm -hmm. um, of like, here's a tweet they made 10 years ago that you might not like. Right. Um, And so that was a reason for it. But also, if you want to get Democrats excited this is an argument I have for Barack Obama nominating Merrick Garland and everything that happened there. He chose on purpose the blandest, most moderate judge he could do right. because he thought he could get him through with Republican votes because mm-hmm. they have a majority in the Senate. And of course, they blocked him because they were going to do that anyway. He should have nominated the most like progressive left wing person to the bench. Because either and- way, he wasn't going through. <laughs> And Barack Obama foolishly thought if I nominate a moderate, that person will get through. And it was wildly naive of him. But anyway, just putting that out there. Um, I want to raise one more story. uh, I I, I didn't read all of the nominations. Some of those are news to me. But I swear to fucking God, when I saw that Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz were on the shortlist for the Supreme Court, my soul left my body and it's currently residing on the moon because it doesn't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Supreme court justice, Ted Cruz replaces Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like Fuck. that's a very realistic it's a possibility that liberals, especially the selfish, like I don't love Biden. He's not perfect. Right. Like that's the headline they want to create. Yeah. Normally, normally I'm very anti like fear monk. But I feel like 2020 might be the year to just scare the shit out of people because if Supreme Court Justice Ted Cruz sounds okay to you, then, like, by all means, throw away your vote, do a protest vote. But if you maybe want to 
keep women on the court and liberals on the court and people who respect women on the court, then I would say go ahead and cast your vote for Joe Biden would be my advice. Keep in mind that like some of the 5-4 decisions that went in liberals' way or against Trump's way this time around was because John Roberts voted that way. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to happen all the time. And it, it didn't happen on some of the biggest cases. Like, he's not your savior. Right. And occasionally, Neil Gorsuch would be that fifth vote. But, like, if it's 6-3 to three on the Supreme Court or 7-2 to two on the Supreme Court, both of which are very possible because Stephen Breyer is also very old, Um, And Clarence Thomas is super old, too, but that's a conservative replacing a conservative right there in theory. Um, All of a sudden, like one conservative judge who grows a conscience for two minutes, Mm. not stop overturning whatever they want to do. Like abortion will be overturned and it'll be up to the states. Right. Gay marriage will be overturned and it'll be up to the states. If you live in a purple state or a red state a lot of those civil rights issues will be gone because it won't be a federal issue anymore. Yep. 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 Uh, There is. Okay. We got to talk about the South Carolina school district because they did something stupid. Okay. Here's the brief background of what you need to know. This is the Greenville County school school district in South Carolina for many, many years. They've been fighting this lawsuit and here's the gist of it. They do too much Christian stuff. They promote religion at graduation ceremonies. They have allowed students to deliver prayers. They Mm -hmm. hold graduations in chapels. They urge attendees to participate in the prayers. And this has been going on for many years. And a lawsuit's been in the process for like since 2012 or 2013, maybe, maybe a little after that. But it's been going on for years. The American Humanist Association filed the lawsuit against this school district and last year, one of the U.S. district judge basically said, okay, the school has lost. Um, they're doing everything wrong. It is clearly a violation of the Constitution. Right. And the judge laid out very specific rules for what the district needed to do. Keep in mind, all of this is what everyone has to do right. Like ar- around the country. But like, basically what they said is, No prayers can be listed in the graduation programs and no like euphemisms, like inspirational reading, like, no, 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 just none of that. Um, you school officials cannot encourage prayers during graduation ceremonies. If you're going to have students speak, they must be chosen in religiously neutral ways, et cetera. Like all of this is totally normal and fine. Right. But at the time, I mean, and the school board complained about all this, but <laughs> this was a this was the settlement that they all agreed to. If the school district just agrees to play by the rules, which are not like pro-atheist or anything, it's just basic church-state separation stuff, we'll call it a day, we will end the fighting. But because they settled, and because the American Human Association had to fight them to get them to do the bare minimum, the school district owed the American Humanist Association a hell of a lot of money in legal Mm -hmm. fees. And the bill came down to roughly $450,000. That was, yeah, that was last year. I'm sorry, maybe the amount was earlier this year. But, like, that's how much money the school has to pay. And now the district has to just accept the settlement, And according to their own lawyer and the school superintendent, the district superintendent, they say, yeah, we should totally take this deal because our insurance covers that money. So, like, take it, 
We will move forward. Let's just end this stupid lawsuit and move on. And this week they had a school board meeting and the school board voted six to six on accepting the settlement offer, which isn't enough. (laughs) So they said no to the agreement. And what that means is like some of the people who spoke out said, we want to keep appealing this decision. We want to fight taking this to court, which means if they lose again, because again, even if you get to more conservative courts higher up, this is not an ambiguous case. This is pretty clear cut. You guys violated the rules. This isn't like a neutral giant cross on public property or something that you might be able to argue. It's totally neutral. It's not. <laughs> so they, they said no to the agreement. Now, what happens? Who knows? But they may end up having to pay even more money, this time out of pocket, like out of the school district's budget, because these idiots on the school board want to keep fighting this. It's insane and stupid and this is what happens when you elect school board members who have no clue what they're doing and they don't care about the students they just care about like jesus Mm -hmm. anyway you know (sighs) real good priorities um can i just read a headline that makes me laugh a whole lot yes please uh, new survey, 98% of Americans who support socialism reject biblical worldview. 98% of socialists reject the biblical world. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Um, you, you showed me the article, and I was like, the hell are we talking about? Unclear, um, but I just... So it's on World News Daily, so like, <laughs> Which is not take much. that for with a grain of salt. So I, I looked up some of this, because some of the, the person who argued this is George Barna, who runs a thing called the Barna Group. And like, I'm familiar with them. I've been using them because they, they're a, basically a polling organization that focuses on Christianity and the Christian world. And it's like his methods are generally fine. They just try to figure out what's going on within the church. It's like the polling isn't the problem. So like, why is Barna of all people saying like 98% of anything is anything. That's such a wildly skewed number. And here's the thing. It's almost the way he defines socialism and the way he defines biblical worldview Mm -hmm. are made to be totally different things. Here's among other things. Here's what he defines as a biblical worldview. You have to believe in absolute moral truth There's no gray areas on issues like abortion is always wrong in all cases ever. Um, You have to believe the Bible is totally I'm quoting from one of their own press releases. The Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. Satan is real, not symbolic. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, A person cannot get to heaven by just being good or doing good. (laughs) Yeah, what asshole thinks that? That's what they mean by biblical worldview. It's a very much conservative Christian definition of the world. So Mm -hmm. if you are a moderate Christian, a partly progressive liberal Christian, you are not really a Christian. Yeah, according to this... um 70% of Americans identify as Christian, but according to their, you know, standards, 6% of those people (laughs) met the biblical worldview. (laughs) Right. So only 6% of Christians are true Christians, according to Barna's definition. And guess what? Socialists are not among them. By socialists, he means like people who want universal health care and stuff. They don't fit the definition. Like you've, you've defined the words 
to have nothing in common. And then your headline is like, these two the groups have nothing in common. Honestly, I'm A, shocked it's not 100%. But yeah. B, like, <laughs> You're really going for those Saddam Hussein support numbers there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He says, I really like his... <laughs> His definition of socialism, he said that um, socialism is, quote, a lazier approach to life. Um, <laughs> and so when someone comes along and says, you know what, we'll take care of you. You just trust us and we're going to give you what you need to live the kind of life you want to leave. People trust that without digging deep and finding out socialism hasn't worked anywhere. We do find that younger people in America, particularly those under the age of 30, are most prone to saying they would prefer socialism maybe it's because they are the ones who are under crippling debt and can't afford healthcare and can't buy a house and uh-huh. have seen how capitalism sucks and of course barna is equating like bernie sanders socialism with like whatever stalin or marx did like they're not the same and the fact that he purposely doesn't explain the difference this is like you never ask people if you're a good pollster, you don't ask people like, do you like socialism? No, and I don't but- think I don't think Barna does that either. But he his takeaways are about that. But you ask people like, do you think healthcare should be free like it is in every uh, country in the world? Like I'm, that's a skewed way of putting that, too. But the point is, like, if you if you ask people, do you support uh, the government getting in the way of your health care? which is what conservatives want. Mm -hmm. Or do you think your taxes should cover your healthcare costs, which is the quote unquote socialist take on this? Like you would get very different reactions. It depends how you're asking these questions. And so if you say like, do you like socialism? If that's what he asked, which again, he doesn't, that article and his press release does not dig into the methodology as much as other companies. Which it absolutely should. Yeah. Um, Let's, Bring. Let's talk about. Wait, can I just read one more yeah. paragraph? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not so about having a biblical based understanding of life. That is nine percent among elders, eight percent among among boomers, four percent among Gen X, two percent among millennials. So we're losing ground. So good work, everyone. Yeah, high fives all around. Thank you, <laughs> Juggalos. Again, I assume they had something to do with that. Is yeah, Juggalos. Yep. Whoop whoop. <laughs> Uh, we have to talk about Queensland in Australia because really? that state, yep, they did something amazing this week. Good, amazing. Queens, yeah, good, amazing. The Queensland Parliament in Australia passed a law, passed legislation that basically makes every adult who, I'm going to generalize here instead of getting into the nitty gritty, it basically makes all adults mandated reporters when it comes to child sexual abuse. Oh, that's great news. So, yeah, like we already know this of uh, social workers and public school teachers and cops. Like if you find out someone is being abused or committing abuse, you have to tell someone in a position of authority. If you're a teacher, you got to tell the counselor about it. If you're a cop, like you got to do something or not a cop like If you're a psychologist, you find out someone is abusing somebody, you have to report that. Mm -hmm. But, but, and this is where it gets murky, in many places around the world, priests get an exemption to this rule. Specifically, usually we're talking about Catholics, Catholic priests who say, someone confessed to me in the confessional booth that they are an abuser. Or a child might say, I'm being abused by, like, my dad, And that is all seen as confidential secret information. If you find out about it, the priest 
cannot, does not do anything with that information. So this is the issue. Should priests have to report to authorities if someone walked into the confessional booth and said, yeah, I molested five kids this week? And priests, the Catholic Church has said, you got to let us keep that secret. They argue that everywhere. They basically say, if you make us report what we are hearing in the confessional booth, you are violating our rules as religious leaders. Like, the confessional booth is sacred. You can't make us do that. And what they did in Queensland this week is they said, nope, no exemption for religious leaders who hear about abuse through confession or anything like that. No exemptions. This applies across the board to everybody. And by the way, um, in Australia, years ago, there were, for five years, there was something called the Australian Royal Commission, which was a government program. They said, we need top people to look into what we can do to make life better for mm-hmm. kids when it comes to abuse, because we've seen too many cases of it. And the group they put together, put to, and it was a legit group, they investigated a lot, many headlines for five years about what they heard in testimony and their final report. Mm-hmm. Their final report had hundreds of recommendations. One of those biggest, one of those major recommendations was get rid of the pastoral exemption here. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a mandated reporter. And in other parts of Australia, they've taken that seriously. Um, South Australia, Victoria, Tasmania, the Australian Capital Territory. Mm-hmm. Since that report, they have all passed laws. Getting Not rid New of South the Wales? Exemption. New South Wales already, I believe, had a law on the oh. books exempting them, but they basically reaffirmed it. So, like, good news all around. Queensland is the latest to to join. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm recalling, this is a worst-case scenario here, but there was a pastor, a priest from Queensland who was in the news as kind of like the poster child for why you want to pass this law. Father Michael McArdle, um, he said he confessed 1,500 times about molesting children. He said this to 30 different priests over the course of 25 years. He said this in an affidavit, like legally binding piece of Did work. Did you say 1,500? Damn right. 1,500? Yup. So like week after week, he's going into the confessional booth to his colleagues, in other words, saying, yeah, I did some bad stuff this week. 1,500 different times. And every single time the person on the other end was like, I don't know, say some Hail Marys and I'll, like God will forgive you. Imagine if the first priest... To hear that confession said, holy shit, hey, cops, I got a live one for you. Yeah. And they stopped him. By the way, McArdle's victims have said, I wish someone would have reported that. It would have saved all of us a lifetime of trauma. Yeah, um, no shit. I should say that affidavit's from 2004. McArdle later received like a six-year prison sentence because I don't know if it was statute of limitations, timed out a lot of this stuff. But he was in prison for like six years. That's it. But again, he's from Queensland. He's the guy everyone was like, this is what I know he's the extreme case, but this is what you're trying to stop. Mm -hmm. And now they passed the law. So good for them. Um, And by the way, if you're curious, um, in the U.S., only about half the states have an exemption for uh, don't have an exemption for pastors. But California, California is a state that does have an exemption. And Mm -hmm. a lawmaker last year tried passing a bill that said, no exemption for them, and the Catholic Church whined about it. So he actually got, the Catholic Church got him to water down his bill 
to say, okay, okay, if a random stranger comes into the confessional booth and says, yep, I molested a bunch of children, you you don't have to report that. You only have to report it if another priest or someone in your building says it, then no exemption applies. But random people come into you, nope, that's still confidential. And the church's argument is like, well, they wouldn't tell us if they thought we were going to reveal their secrets. But you're not doing anything with it even when they do. So, like, who cares? And by the way, if they're like, I got to confess my sins because I need forgiveness because I did something bad. If they're the sort of people who take that stuff seriously, then maybe losing that act of secrecy and meaning confession's not going to help them in any way, maybe some of them, it will stop them from doing the bad stuff. Yeah. And I'd like to add something to that. And I think I've said this before on the show, but I think it, it bears repeating. Um, another layer to that is that oftentimes we see people uh, who confess to murders, crimes, things like that. It happens after a period of dealing with the guilt and not having an outlet about it and all that stuff. Obviously this doesn't apply to like psychopaths who don't have empathy, but if you are giving these people an outlet and a place to go and say the terrible things they did and be forgiven in what, whatever way, mm-hmm. it's an outlet for that any residual guilt they might be feeling. So if you take that away, there is a better chance that somebody might slip up and say something stupid to somebody who is supposed to report it. Yeah. So I, I, it really frustrates me that 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 this this oath of secrecy they took is more important than this health and safety of people. Like I, I I just, they would rather protect themselves and their religious beliefs than the children who might suffer. I think last time this went around, somebody said he'd rather go to jail than violate his. Yeah. Yep. That's what one priest said. Some of them have said they would rather die than break the seal of secrecy that involves confessionals. But that's yeah. their argument. They're still fighting it. I Like, Spotlight, that movie was supposed to reflect the sex abuse scandals, revelations from, like, the early 2000s. But they're still harboring predators or trying to sa- keep them safe Yeah, today. Like, it's still happening, even if the abuse itself isn't happening from the priests as much. They're very much in the game business of, like, protecting people who are predators. Oh, yeah. And these are not, like, this sort of bill... It's not asking them to change their beliefs. It's not getting in the way of how they conduct business. It's about public safety. It's basically the same thing as telling a church, if you want to meet, you still have to wear masks and social distance. We can Mm -hmm. force you to do that because it applies to everybody. Um, We're not treating you differently, but that same thing should go for mandated reporting. Well, and I I would think that, fine, if, if that's against your conscience, don't report that but if that person gets busted you are also liable for Ooh, i like, like that too you yeah. are on the hook for it because you knew about it and you could have done something about it and you chose not to so fine don't fucking tell anybody keep your sacred secret or whatever but if this person who confessed to you that he's abusing children or abusing women or whatever then gets his whatever absolution and goes on to do the same thing well, that's on you, friend, because you had the power to stop it and you had the knowledge and you just didn't. I have an update for you on Jerry Falwell. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, some uh, Without getting into all the drama from the past 
a couple of weeks. Really quick backstory here. One of the reasons Jerry Falwell Jr. became such a prominent name over the course of the Trump administration is because in 2016, just before the Iowa caucuses, when Donald Trump was a joke, uh, a political joke, was Jerry Falwell Jr. endorsed him. And that was before Iowa. And like he was kind of the first prominent white evangelical leader to say, I know he's not like our our favorite dude, but he's good for us. I support him. And this is when Ted Cruz was still in the race. Ted Cruz, who announced his candidacy at Liberty University. And here's Jerry Falwell, the head of Liberty, saying, nope, not for Ted Cruz. I'm supporting Donald Trump. That made no sense at the time. And I mean, it still doesn't make sense in hindsight, but that kind of opened the floodgates to endorsements of Trump by white evangelicals. Um, And one of the questions that came up over the past couple of years, especially with the pool boy scandal that has been taking place is, did someone have like risque pictures of either Jerry Falwell or his wife, Becky Falwell or Giancarlo Granda, the pool boy or together or in various positions, who knows? Did someone have pictures and like use them to blackmail Falwell into endorsing Trump? And this is like a conspiracy theory that was around. Like, what if someone like Michael Cohen, the president's lawyer slash fixer, what if Michael Cohen said, hey, Jerry Falwell, I have possession in I have in my hands these pictures that I will bet you don't want leaking to the public and I will leak them unless you give Donald Trump an endorsement. That was like a conspiracy theory that had no real evidence behind it, um, except Tom Arnold, the comedian of all people, released a like audio tape saying Michael Cohen had possession of those pictures. Oh, I forgot. And it's like, oh, the conspiracy theory comes together. Interesting. And then, of course, all the pool boy scandal of the past couple of weeks said there were pictures like this thing did happen and there were screenshots involved. And so this week, something interesting that happened is Michael Cohen's book. Uh, came out his book that Trump administration tried to stop, but it came out anyway. And he talks about this connection to Falwell. And this is according to Reuters, uh, Aram Rostin, who's broken so many of the Falwell stories that have come out in Cohen's book, Disloyal, the memoir. He talks about how Michael, I'm going to paraphrase this. Michael Cohen says he never had possession of the pictures. He knew about them. And it was his job to just shut it down before it could get to the press. And basically, he said to Falwell, I will find a way to kill those photographs so that they never see the light of day. Like, instead of catch and kill where I get it and then I suppress it, I'm just trying to suppress it. And then this is what he writes in the book. This is the key line that he says in the book. In good time, I would call in this favor. Not for me, but for the boss at a crucial moment on his journey to the presidency. Saying like, in good time, I promise Jerry Falwell, I'll make sure those pictures never see the light of day. And in good time, I would cash in that favor. Now, he doesn't explicitly say, I'm going to use quid pro quo. He doesn't explicitly say, I'll shut down the pictures if you give the endorsement. But he suggests Falwell would have done something for him. Um, in response to those pictures. Um, Michael Cohen was on Rachel Maddow this week, and Rachel Maddow asked him explicitly, like, was that the deal? 
like you will shut down the pictures, he'll endorse him. And Michael Cohen kind of backed away from that a little bit. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, I was good friends with the Falwells. I am good friends with the Falwells. I have Mm -hmm. a good relationship with them. I didn't need to threaten them in order to have Falwell endorse Donald Trump. Like I asked them if they would. Right. And he did, but it's because we have a good working relationship. And Cohen said, I like Jerry Falwell. I like his wife. They did it for me because I asked them, not because I held this over them. But his book says he cashed in some sort of favor. And it's a weird thing to say. My favorite part of that Reuters article, though, it was updated like hours later after it was released. Mm -hmm. And it turns out like the initial article said that the Reuters reporter tried to contact the Falwells about this and they didn't respond for comment. Well, Jerry Falwell did call that reporter after the story went up. Uh And here's the best part of this. I'm going to quote this. Toward the end of the call, Becky Falwell, who has not commented on the Cohen book or the photographs, could be heard urging her husband to cut short the conversation with Reuters. Hang up the goddamn phone, she told her husband. Hang up the phone, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. <laughs> which is which is weird for a bunch of reasons, one of which is Falwell said, I, this wasn't a, Falwell confirmed what Cohen said. There were no photographs. There was no quid pro quo. I endorsed Trump because I like Trump. That's the that's kind of the normal thing for him to say. He's even saying there were no photographs that I was worried about. Like it's all a hoax of sorts. And here's Becky like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Like what he's saying the thing you should want him to say. Why are you trying to stop him from talking? That's a weird thing to point out. It's so funny. Um, Falwell did say to Reuters that the only picture, um, I'm sorry, this is, this is what Falwell said. He said the photo that someone may have gotten was a picture he took of Becky Falwell in the backyard topless or something like that, which as far as risque and racy goes, it's like, whatever. Like, why would anyone be like, I think if that picture got out or something, I think universally everyone would be like, this is a gross violation of their privacy. That was on her own property? I think so, yeah. Like, that's what Falwell suggested it was, which is like, all right, you do you. I don't care. Yeah. I said, ugh, not about her being topless. Ugh, yes, that's a violation. It's a violation of the privacy. Like, if if that's Falwell's story, because the implication is, no, 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 it's something she was doing sexual, perhaps not with him even, that would have been scandalous mm-hmm. for a Christian university's president. And here's Jerry Falwell saying, no, that's not what this was about. It was about something way less crazy. And here's Becky Falwell in the background, like, stop it. Stop it. Interesting. Weird. Oh, man, a lot of people Good on the right time. have a hard time talking to reporters and not self-incriminating, <laughs> huh? And and hilarious because Jerry Falwell Jr. loves publicity. It's sure. like publicity... Oh then like Jesus is number 17 on the priority list. But like re- talking to reporters is number one. Um, I would like to talk about something. Please. I'm trying to decide. Do you want to talk about patriotic, patriotic education or a Ukrainian church leader? <laughs> Let's talk about the Ukrainian church leader. Okay. Uh, so uh, Patri- Patriarch Filaret. Definitely nailed all of that. Yes. Um, he's the head of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church um, in, in Kiev. And he 
is he's 91 years old and he blamed earlier this year, he blamed the coronavirus pandemic on same sex marriage, obviously. Uh, anyway, he has COVID now. He's hospitalized. <laughs> this uh, is what no, we like, call karma. As of Tuesday, he's stable. He's under treatment. They're, you know, thoughts and prayers, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Like you I, could, I saw, I saw a few comments like, People wrongly suggesting that he said only gay people get COVID and then he got COVID and they're like, uh-huh, what does that say about you? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what he said. He said gay marriage caused it because it's a sin and God is punishing us for sin. And now he has COVID. Like technically, there's no contradiction there. There's no gotcha moment there. No. It's just kind of amusing that a guy who spread lies about COVID well, got I, COVID. I do love that they blame something like COVID or like hurricanes or whatever on the specific sin of gay marriage. When like the Catholic church has been raping children for centuries, it's really wild to me what they think God is mad about and what God is not mad about. Yes. So, so that's cool and fun and great and whatever. I don't want anyone to die, but also fuck that guy. Yes. You can hold both those thoughts in your head simultaneously. Mm -hmm. I'm really working on living in shades of gray (laughs) and this is part of it. I got a story for you. You are going to love this because I promise you, you haven't seen this yet because it's been basically not covered much in the American press. Are you breaking news on our No, I'm, I'm totally, not- <laughs> totally not breaking news, but like, it seems like the only people talking about this are uh, like based in Brazil because this is where it's taking place. I haven't seen much of it beyond that, but okay, get this. I'm going to try to summarize this because this is like a... 10 part Netflix series with tiger uh, King sort of it, the twists and turns are all over the place. What's but, it called? Uh, there's, there's nothing. There is a woman uh, who goes by the name Flor de Lis, uh, like so many famous Brazilians. She kind of goes by the one name. That's a typical thing, uh-huh. but she used to be a Christian singer, like a gospel singer. She was popular. Um, and that's how she became famous to the point where like Madonna, who also goes by one name, she started uh, adopting kids. Sure. Like she, she was a famous singer. She's like, I like helping marginalized youth. And to that end, she started adopting kids as well. So she had, I think three biological kids, by the way, I'm going to, pre- here's a caveat. There's so many twists and turns to this story. I apologize if I get a detail or two wrong here, but I think this is the idea. She started adopting kids like crazy. They even made a movie about her in 2009 telling kind of the story of her life. And she, her character in that movie was like the hero that resisted persecution to help children. Like she didn't want these kids to be separated. She's the hero. Uh, It even involved her making herself homeless so that they wouldn't take her kids away from her or separate them. Guess how many kids we are talking here? Tell me. 55. What? Yeah. There were three biological children, then five adopted children, followed by all the rest of them. But here's where it gets more complicated, even beyond that. Those first, her three biological kids and the five adopted kids all seem to get preferential treatment to like the second tier. Like they got better rooms, better food, uh, access to food, things like that. And one of those five first adopted kids, uh, his name was Anderson Docarmo. He was adopted when he was 14 years old, and Florida Lease was 30 at the time. 
and here's the thing. There are 55 kids eventually here. Some of these kids eventually start dating each other, which is messed up in one way, but also I don't think they're all actually related, adopted, but that's weird and disturbing. But wait, it gets worse. Again, he was 14. She was 30. Seven years later, he's 21. She's 37. They get married. She marries her adopted son. And that's a thing. But wait, it gets worse. Then that guy got murdered. (gasps) And who, like, what the hell's going on now? She is now one of the prime suspects (gasps) for the murder. Uh-huh. By the way, she's also a member of Congress there. She's now a member of Congress. She got voted as part of like Bolsonaro's like super right-wing Christian movement. Imagine like a QAnon conspiracist who gets elected to power based on like the president's craziness. Uh-huh. So she's one of them in like their version of the House of Representatives. And here's the thing. They can't even go after her the law enforcement can't arrest her no matter what, because politicians have parliamentary immunity. No. So like, that was a good idea. Yeah. Other house members are like, she needs to resign because they need to deal with this case. (laughs) So they need to like have her step down so they can inquire and get the details. Cause maybe she killed a dude who happens to be her son, who happens to be her husband. (laughs) Like, uh, by the way, this is a whole movement based on family unity and like sure. <laughs> family sanctity. Well, she took, all of that. I would say she took family unity one step too far, but <sighs> I hope I got that story right. But I cannot tell you how many people emailed me links to this story and it was not written in English at the time. And they're like, I know it's not in English, but you need to check this out because this is insane. And it's what so many people are talking about in Brazil. <laughs> Because it's insane. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Future Netflix show wow, coming, wow, wow. coming up. That is <laughs> bananas crazy. Um, I want to bring us back stateside. Um, yes. So we talk a lot about education in schools, I think, and what's appropriate and what isn't. Um, <laughs> so Trump, now we know Trump is a literal idiot and doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, and he thinks that we haven't brainwashed our children enough, I guess. I, I think it's very, I am always really fascinated by the fact that all of the like Republicans think that any criticism of America is blasphemous or anti-American. Whereas I think criticizing the American government is distinctly pro-American. It means that we're trying to make this place better instead of packing our bags and moving away. Um, So Trump, thank God, has really taken this huge problem head on. He said many young Americans have been fed lies about America being a wicked nation plagued by racism. Where's the lie, Hammond? (laughs) Indeed, Joe Biden and his party spent their entire convention spreading this hateful and destructive message while refusing to say one word about the violence. Uh, Right, right, right. Anyway, his, his, uh, he thinks that left-wing indoctrination in schools and universities has been a, quote, crazy movement. He thinks that um, the violent protests are a direct result of that. 
Um, which it's so funny how the more we learn about U.S. history, the more we realize the issues. And that isn't a problem with education. That's a problem with history. Like, yeah. that's... Anyway, the thing that gets them all worked up, like the right is so worked up about is the idea that a lot of school districts are trying to use the New York Times 1619 project, which says, like, if you want to talk about the beginning of our nation, let's not pretend it was 1776. Right. Let's go back to when slaves first came to the country, Mm -hmm. which, again, the whole premise is this is really kind of we don't have a country without talking about this legacy of slavery mm-hmm. and that kind of underpins so much of what's going on with our country now and what, how it is transformed. That's what they hate. They don't want to like, they would so much rather treat our country as like the founding fathers created this wonderful, perfect nation. And we're the ones who aren't doing our end of the deal when the idea is like, well, that's not true. But I think even beyond that, The issue is that Trump is like, let me tell these school boards how to run what they're doing. A conservative movement is like, we don't want the federal government dealing with local issues. Don't micromanage us. Give us freedom. Let us run our country locally. Well, they're very interested in my uterus, so I don't know why that's cool. They they want the government involved with nothing except when they want it involved with everything. Right. Like the hypocrisy there is unbelievable. And of course, the problem with what Trump is saying is he doesn't want to educate them on history. He yeah, wants, he wants to, to whitewash history. Yeah, yeah he, he wants to indoctrinate them. I, I think we are. Uh, there's no doubt that we are currently in the in the middle of a national rec- reckoning about our history and about race. Because um, I think so. Uh, I think so many of us learned from the Watchmen about the Tulsa race massacre, which is such a a huge part of our history and of our racial history and the fact that most of us were not taught that in in school is a detriment like not i don't understand why like we teach the civil war so we're okay with teaching about conflicts and like i think i learned some shit about the kkk and like especially like lynchings in the 19 you know around the uh, mm-hmm. uh but anyway so uh I just think more education is generally better, and I'm not sure why anyone thinks the opposite. So what he decided he's going to do is the only path to to unity is to rebuild a shared national identity focused on common American values and virtues, of which we have plenty. This includes restoring patriotic education to our our nation's schools, where they're trying to change everything that we have learned. He said that America <laughs> Patriotic is... Patriotic You have to love our country, because that's how you do love. You force everyone. I mean, in hindsight, I remember as a preschooler having to say the fucking Pledge of Allegiance every day. And yeah. even as a preschooler, I was like, I hate it. <laughs> um, if you have to pledge your allegiance to the country every day as a sign of how much you love the country... Like you're not actually showing patriotism. And it's, it's a thing I think about all the time. Like if somebody said in Nazi Germany, they made kids stand up every day and pledge fealty mm-hmm. to the or North Korea or Saudi North Arabia. Korea, we'd be like, yep. Oh, those people are not so, but no, we do it here. I had to learn it in sign language. Cause ASL was my first period class. Like 
it is so deeply and uh, it's just so fun. Like Germany saying, listen, we're just going to skip over World War II or downplay our role in that. I don't think anything that affected Germany today happened in the early part of the 20th century. And and they are very like, at least there, they're very good about saying, listen, this is what happened. This is our role in it. This is how we are trying to do better. And whatever problems they have, like they address their issues and Trump's whole thing is let's just ignore everything awful we've done, everything awful we are in the process of doing. Right. Just, and let's make force everyone to love the country. It's such a fucked worldview. It really truly is. Like instead of it's just so attacking the the results instead of the root cause like instead of saying like hey a lot of people are really dissatisfied with the u.s as it is why is that why are there riots in this street what is making people upset and how can we make america work for everybody they're saying like no you guys are americaing wrong like just shut up for once yeah i'm good one more thing that i kind of want to talk about and it's good news yay so, um, so do you remember hashtag Oscars so white? Yes. All the Oscar movies are very white. So specifically in 2015, um, all 20 acting nominate nominations. So best actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, all 20 of those nominees were white in 2015. And then I think they did it again later, but I don't remember. Um, so the, when that, uh, Chadwick Boseman passed away, there was a gif floating around of like his reaction when Green Book won Best Picture because that movie is very much uh, like the white savior type of movie, and they have a picture of him kind of looking back at another black actor, like really this oh one. God. <laughs> it I was, was glorious. I think I turned I tend to watch the Oscars I like awards shows um and I just turned it off immediately I was so actually funnily um whenever it there was the whole La La Land slash uh Moonlight debacle (laughs) we were watching it downstairs and La La Land gets called as best picture winner and Mikey just got up and went to bed and then the (laughs) whole thing happened with like Two minutes um, later. Yeah. So I like ran. He was in bed and I ran upstairs. And I was like, some shit's going off right now. You want to watch this. Um, but anyway, so in, I think I have lots of thoughts on the Oscars as a measure of quality movies, especially in the past. Yeah. Um, that is for another podcast, I would say. Um, but so this Oscar so white thing happened, happened. And while it, um, like when it first started, they were like, um, does, do the Oscars have a race problem? And the, the president at the time was like, she's Cheryl Boone, Boone Isaacs. She, (laughs) she said, not at all, not at all. No race problem here. No big deal. Don't worry about it, guys. We're doing really good. Um, so a couple months ago, um, they unveiled a, they changed the stakes of how you become an Academy member, um, to make it more inclusive, but now they've even gone for, so the idea was like, we, we say often of like you cha- if you put people of color, women behind the scenes, you're going to get more diverse stories because people tell, tend to tell their own stories. And for a hundred years, we've been telling white dudes stories and, you know, 
I think we've told most of them. I think we're pretty good on YG story fronts. Um, but so this year they just dropped like a huge um, new set of guidelines that movies need to meet to be uh, to be eligible for a best picture nomination. So my understanding is that the other nomina- nominations have different standards and those will be addressed. But right now they're talking about best picture. Um, so you, so, you won't even be nominated for the award unless you do the following. Right. So there are, I think four, three or four stipulations. Uh, yeah. Four stipulations and they have to meet at least two. So standard a is at least one actor from an unrepresentative uh, group must be in a significant role. It must center on women, LGBT people, racial or ethnic group, or the disabled. And at least 30% of the cast must be actors from at least two of those four underrepresented categories. So, so that means to, to make this 30% of the people have to be either women or a person of color or disabled, which to me, considering that is describing 75% of the population, I feel like is not bad. One thing uh, I heard some people complaining about is the, I think the obvious conservative reaction to this is you're censoring the types of movies that could be made. You're limiting the choice here by forcing people to quote unquote, get woke or whatever. But I think if I have this right, if you look at the best picture nominees from the past, who knows how many years qualified. Yeah. Yeah. They, even the ones that are, seen as like this is way too white yeah trail of life would have qualified they all would have qualified yeah um because so that's on-screen talent and then standard b has to do with um two more department heads crew members um who have to be a 30 percent from an underrepresented group um C and D are more about financing and distribution and marketing and things like that so it is, and there's been criticism on both sides, right? It goes too far, according to conservatives. It doesn't go far enough, according to um, according to more liberal thinkers. I am kind of in the mindset, and I don't know, maybe this is just I need a win right now, but it feels like a excellent step in the right direction because it's not these <laughs> these aren't difficult. Uh, these aren't difficult um, things to hit, right? Like, yeah, they all hit them already without even trying. Yeah. Like, so this tree of life, like had a Mexican cinematographer and they're um, things like that of like, this isn't impossible. It just has not been the case for so long and nobody's had to think about it. I think to me, the the thing that I like about it is obviously it doesn't change the types of movies that get made. It doesn't change the power dynamic that much. But the thing it does is it at least gets people who are in power at these movie studios to consider these issues when making a movie. And maybe a part of them will be like, well, uh, we're putting a lot of money and time into this film. We obviously want it to be eligible for awards like this. So have we made sure it is eligible? Have we checked off these boxes at least and again, hopefully you get to the point where you don't have to think about it because it's almost impossible not to meet these standards, but at least it gets them talking about it. It won't really change, I don't think, anything significant. No, I don't think so either. And it's and it's funny to assume that like 
race and gender considerations don't already go into what movies get made because we have this false notion. We studio heads have this false notion that, you know, black leads don't play overseas, which has been disproven or like women, women led movies don't perform well, which like, I don't know, frozen frozen was like the biggest movie of fucking all time. So anyway, I think this is overall really good. I think there is more work to be done. Um, but I do think that this is a really good codified step in the right direction. Sweet. Cause it's not, it's not, we're going to try to do better or we're planning on doing something soon. This is like, they're actually, they did very it. Concrete. Yeah. So it's a start. So yeah. I think that's very good news. I'm excited about it. Sweet. All uh, right. That's all I'm, I have. I'm talked out. Yeah. Uh, cool. Where do we find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Blueberry, B-L-U-E-B-U-R-I-E. Um, you can hear more from me and my husband, Mikey, at um, on our uh, other podcast called Cooper Duper. It's about Twin Peaks. Um, and if you're a Patreon, you can also tap into like 30-something ex- bonus episodes that we've got there. Um yeah, that's it. How about you? Hammond? I am at Hammond Meta on Twitter. You can find me at Friendly Atheist on YouTube or FriendlyAtheist.com. And I please support the show. Go to Patreon.com slash Friendly Atheist Podcast. Yeah, leave us a review. Let me see if we have any new reviews in. I can't get it fast enough. Who cares? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Here we go. This is five-star review from... Uh, Bajo, Bajo John, B-A-J-O-J-O-H-N. I haven't read this yet, so we might cut it out if it's weird. I can't remember when I first started listening, but as a former clergy, every week feels like I'm listening to longtime friends. Hammett and Jessica have been with me through some dark days, and I'm grateful for their work. It was good to know that I wasn't alone, and there are sane people out there. Thank you, you guys. Oh, that was oh, a really Thank nice. you. Um, so just go on to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and uh, you might be uh, right out on the air and that's all all bud we'll see you next week everyone bye bye